Voila. <laughs> Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And this is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. Before we get started with today's episodes, Anna has two exciting announcements. Yes. The first announcement is that I finally got around to making a Facebook page for our podcast. Woo! So you can find us under the podcast name, Fantastic Books and How to Read Them, or you can just search at Fantastic Books Pod on Facebook and uh, find and like the Facebook page now. And then my second announcement is that I just wanted to specifically call out our listener, Corey, who sent us the most delightful message. Um, So I just wanted to thank him for reaching out and supporting the pod. Thank you, Corey. Corey, totally awesome receiving that message. It made our week just to get some feedback. We are so happy you're enjoying the podcast. Yeah, it was super sweet of you to to reach out. You didn't have to do that, obviously. So it was really cool to hear from a listener. So yeah, thanks so much. And I'm glad you're enjoying the book. And those were my two announcements. So I think without further ado, let's jump into chapter 60. Chapter 60, Fortune. This is a great part. Admissions are rolling through again, and everyone's receiving their admission slot tile that's going to determine when they have to basically take their admissions exam with all the... Masters. Thank you. With mm-hmm. the masters. And Kavoth actually draws a later slot tile, so it's pretty valuable. He'll, he's going to want to try and maybe trade that for some money. Yeah, I think a lot of people would try to keep those, but... Because he can't go into the archives, he's like, you know what, I may as well trade this for money. As he's going throughout, um, basically you like hold your hand up to get, get people's attention, they'll come over to you if they want to trade or buy your time slot from you. Yep, so Kavil throws up some gang signs. And... Yeah, right, fingers <laughs> up. And uh, Sim and Will and Quover and say Ambrose that and some of his friends drew time slots for that very day. And then immediately uh, Ambrose is there with his friends kind of loudly complaining about the unfairness of the system and how could all of them have drawn time slots on the same day, yada yada, it must be rigged against him, blah blah blah. Ambrose comes over to Kavoth without even realizing who he's walking up to before it's like too late to back out. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's you. And of course, like, makes fun of the fact that Kavoth is selling his time slot because he knows he can't go into the archives to study. So immediately brings up that whole thing, which yeah, Ambrose... Yeah, was a job. Ambrose caused anyway. And so he's like, all right, pennies for the poor. I guess I can help you out. I know. And he makes this dumb, ex- like, statement of, like, great, you can have one of my old shirts. That way, when you're washing your laundry in the river, you have something to wear. And poor Kavoth, like in his head is like, I do wash my laundry in the <laughs> So he, like, has to come up with some kind of insult to come back at him. And this joke kind of doesn't translate very well. No. Basically, Kavos says to Ambrose, your shirt tails are a little too richly dyed for my taste, indicating that he thinks that Ambrose has, like, an like, STD. Yeah. <laughs> and Will translates this STD as the Adamte toss, which is, like, the edema drip. And so Kavoth is mad about this, like, slur against his people, but doesn't bring it up until a little bit later. So after that joke, Ambrose laughs, and he's like, fine, how much How much do you want? And yeah. Kavoth goes, five talents. Yeah, just... Which is absolutely way too high. Outrageous, but it's Ambrose, so Kavoth knows he can afford it, and he's just being a jerk because it's the rivalry at this point. Exactly, like... 
it's if Ambrose says he can't afford it, then he looks almost more of like a fool. Yeah. But obviously he's paying way too much. And uh, Kavoth makes fun of him too and goes, oh, do you need that converted? Because Ambrose had failed his like math oh, portion yeah. of his test. So Ambrose gets all like affronted. He's like, I'm not an idiot. I've traveled the world. I know how money converts and how money spends. And so Kavoth then actually uses that like against him. He's like, yeah. oh, well, if you've traveled the world, you know that in... Is it the Modigan court? Yeah. That nobles should not be bartering. That's seen as, like, very low class for them. And... He's like, oh, you've fallen on hard times. Here, just take my admission slot. You clearly need it, you poor thing. I know, pushing it right back at him. <sighs> so Ambrose all affronted nobility. He's like, you can take your tile and choke on it. And he's like... <laughs> Just leaves. Like, yeah, like, the storm's so off. it's just, like, a stupid argument, and there's, like, kind of a few claps from people standing around watching oh, yeah. this whole thing go down. But Will and Sim are like, that wasn't your best. Like, what's going on? What? That was a pretty, like, weak kind of fight you had with Ambrose. Yeah. Which, at that point, Kavos snaps and says, you know, oh, William's, Will says, did you do it because you were lazy? And Kavos is like, if I... Good thing I'm lazy, because if I wasn't lazy, I would translate Adamte Tas, that word you said uh, for the STD, and would call you out on making racial slurs against your own friend. So good thing for you that I am just a lazy person and wouldn't bother to do that. AKA not lazy. Yeah, not lazy at all. But anyway, it's just kind of like a weird argument situation thrown in there between him and Ambrose, like kind of keeping tabs on the fact that their feud is ongoing and slowly escalating to a certain point and we get to i think the escalation of that later on in this set of chapters oh yeah but eventually kavoth uh sells his slot to a raylar named jackson um and he gets his uh in exchange for his time slot six jots and a favor to be named later which i think is actually a great deal but unfortunately kavoth goes through admissions does so so his tuition is a full six talents which puts him in an interesting position. So he goes... Well, thankfully, he got all that money from... From playing, yeah, at the, at the So I think he has enough to pay off Devi and enough to pay his tuition, but that would be, like, exactly Destitute. all his money. Like, yeah. he has just enough for both. So he has to decide whether or not he wants to do that and then have no money, and hopefully he can make more if he wants to pay Devi... Like, just the interest the, Just the, the interest, or if he needs to, like... I mean, he doesn't need to borrow more, but he has to make a plan pretty soon. Yeah. So he decides to go over to Imre. He ends up making his way towards the Aeolian, where he runs into Count Threpe. Yeah, and they have a really interesting conversation. So he meets uh, Stanchion at the door, and they're like, we have your lady here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so Kamoto's like, well, I wouldn't call her my lady, because he's thinking... I mean, he has a one-track mind for Denna. Yeah, he went there specifically to look for Denna, but also to grab his loot. Also to, I think, see Debbie, too. Yeah, so much errands in Imre. Many, many errands in Imre. So... Oh, but yeah, there's clearly like miscommunication. Kavos like, oh, I don't think I'd call her my lady. And then, was it Stanchion? Yeah, he was like, well... You know, I'd go in there and get her before uh, Diok becomes a little too familiar and starts fingering her, which sounds very sexual. But yeah. immediately Kavoth is like, oh, my loot. He's talking about my loot. Yeah. I'm an idiot. And yeah. so he gets like embarrassed that he was thinking of not his loot and he like runs inside to go get it. Which is then when he meets Count Thrape. Yeah, and so he brings him over, and they start having a conversation. 
and he was like, you should come and play for me at my house again. Like, he brings that up. Yeah, they also talk about how Grappe, like, like, thought that Kvothe had a patron. Yeah. And was really disappointed that he didn't because he's like, oh, I just took on a new a new musician, and I think it's his third. Yes. And he's like, you know, fourth. If I pick up a fourth musician, they're all going to hate me, and he kind of cites yeah. this little, like, Yeah, rhyme. so it's basically one... It's no. one wife, you're happy. Two, you're tired. Three, they'll hate each other. And four, they'll hate you. That's it, that's it. So right now he has three, they hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been bickering amongst each other. Um, and they even... Drepe even said, like... They questioned as to why he gave Kavoth money the night before, which is weird to me. It's like, that's his own money. He can do what he wants with it. Like, yes, you have you have musicians you're supporting, but it seems kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but clearly they are a little possessive, so he does not want to pick up Kavoth, but is disappointed that nobody else has either. Yeah, and so he's like, you know, I'll do some talking and some looking around for you. We'll get you a patron because you're clearly talented. Yeah, he, he does a Masala and he's like, I know everyone with what? Within, money or name? Money or name? 50 miles yeah. from here, yeah. So he's going to help Kvothe out, which is really cool because that would be like the end to a lot of his money problems and it would be steady income and support and he wouldn't have to necessarily like rush through the university if he had, you know, time to put into his music too, which was equally profitable. I know. Even though his poverty is such a driving force for his, like, a great achievements, it would help him. Yeah, he wouldn't have, have to go as, as quickly. Like, right. he's whipping through everything so fast because he knows he can't afford to stay that long. No. And then, eventually, I think the conversation turns to Denna. Yeah. And Kvothe is trying to figure out if Grepe knows where she is or, like, where she's who staying, she who she is. <laughs> he it's... does a terrible job of describing her at first. Like, he's trying to not let on that he likes her. And he's like, she has... Brown hair. She was medium tall. Yeah, and so he's like, you know what? If anyone's gonna know, it's Diok. So he calls him over, and Kavot is like embarrassingly trying to like describe what Denna looks like and how she was like his Halloween and. You know, and of course, like Harmony. these two older guys are thinking that like you know Kavoth is very interested in her romantically and kind of giving him that like nudge nudge wink wink like of oh you're interested yeah this part is and great so, I and love like it. being a young teenage boy he's like no no not like that yeah he's like wicked that's <laughs> so funny he's like she was the one who sang my harmony last night she had a lovely voice and I was hoping to find her so we could do a little singing <laughs> And he goes, I think I know the tune you're talking about. And he oh, gave me a broad knowing so smile. funny. So good. And he's like, no, no, that's not it. Uh, it's just so good. Young love. Young love. Such a uh, source of humor for older people, I feel like. Yes. Just laughing at like the uncomfortableness and awkwardness. So. And so basically, they're not too sure who she is. And because he doesn't have enough information to go by, they're like, dude. Yeah, you're going to have to think a little bit harder. Yes. Um, but then, Diak does end up remembering who she is. And he's oh, like, oh, she does? Yeah. He goes, I don't know where you need, I don't know necessarily where you can find her, but you gotta be careful. Men fall for her, like, week before the sickle blade. So she's clearly been around here a few times before. Yeah, and, you know. Has a she reputation. She attracts men, but they don't last. No. Which is kind of interesting. You think that, like, if people know this reputation, I'm surprised she keeps reeling in all these guys that... I mean, she's beautiful. I think it's just, like, she goes out on dates. It's not like 
she's promised them anything or it's anything that serious. But the guys will, like, fall head over heels for her. Yeah, I just feel like if you go on... I mean, it's, she clearly has a reputation that Diok knows enough about her. So she's right. clearly done this multiple times before of, like, these guys who... I mean, she's like a heartbreaker, so... I don't know. I feel like after a while, people would be like, ugh. Enough already. Right? Like, not her again. (laughs) The town harlot. No, but... No, I I think she's just a very flighty person. Yes. That, I mean, that's always, like, the key term to describe Denna is always, like, flighty. Mm, Yeah. Quick to flee, for sure. For sure. So, after conversations over at the Aeolian, Kavoth makes his way over to Debbie's. Yay! My favorite uh, character again! She's great. I like her a lot. Especially later in uh, Wise Man's Sphere. Some really cool parts uh, in due time. However, we have Kavoth going over to Debbie's to talk about the loan and kind of come to another agreement. He decides to not pay off the full amount and just do the interest. And Debbie's, like, totally fine with that. She's like, I just consider it an investment on my part. Yeah, I think To keep you around a little longer. She likes him. And it's interesting, too. He he tries to, like, ask this weird question about, like, oh, what would happen? Has everyone ever tried to report you? Yeah. And she's like, why would you ask that? Like, are you asking because you want to know? Or, like, are you just curious? Like, what are you trying to do here? Um, And she says it did happen once. And this guy reported her. The constables came and investigated and didn't find anything. And eventually, I think actually pretty quickly thereafter, the guy got charged with, like, being slanderous against the lady of the town. So she's set up her situation very nicely where it's difficult to double-cross her. Yeah. So she's pretty well protected. After that, I think Kavoth notices a new book that she has on her shelf. And he's very interested in borrowing it. Well, he's more just impressed that she has the books. Because this is the whole part where he explains to Debbie that he got banned from the archives. And he doesn't have access to books right now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's like he's impressed that she has it. But I think he's just like thirsty for new, new content and like new books. Yeah, because he was like, oh, I would have passed one of my admissions questions if I was able to study from that book. Yeah. And so she was like, all right, well, here's the deal. If you come... And keep playing music for me and having good conversation. I'll let you borrow some books as long as you take good care of them. And, you know, what did she say? It's like us outcasts have to look out for one another. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, charming. And Debbie's just awesome. Yeah, she's very cool. It's funny, too. He, like, quickly scans her bookshelf and does make a side note that there's no books that would have any information about the Amir or the Shandrian. So he is still working towards that goal of finding the Amir of the Shandrian, but he's been pretty sidetracked by, like, admissions, his music career, and Denna at this point. But he is still making his way over to researching the Shandrian eventually. He's just been kind of, you know, hit a lot of setbacks along yeah. the way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's realistic. That's real life, you know? Yeah, and he's rounding himself out. It's not like he's like, oh, I'd... I'm going to just not go to a university now that I'm here. Mm. Like, I wanted to come for the archives, but now I'm learning all these other really useful things. Why would I stop? Right. It is very realistic in in terms of he does have this goal and this quest to find out more about the Shandrian. But, yeah, he's just kind of at a a standstill, unfortunately. 
But yes, he leaves Debbie with that lovely line of, we exiles should stick together, which I think is very cute. <laughs> and of course, he walks back to the university wondering if she was being friendly or flirtatious, and he can't come to any kind of decision because he's just a 15-year-old boy and knows nothing about women. Yeah, he's woefully ignorant. But it's like part of, it's funny because he's a very charming character, but I think that adds to his charm is like people are pretty enthralled by him sometimes. and they... I think a lot of the parts where he's charming too, he's using his strength. So he uses his training as an actor or he falls back on quoting literature or songs or plays. plays. Yeah. Or he is talking about like knowledge and things he actually knows about or he's talking about music. And so this topic that he knows absolutely nothing about and it's not something you can learn from a book or learn by rote memorization, which is how he learns everything else. I think it's just vexing to him. Yeah. So very interesting, very interesting. But the chapter shifts and he ends up in Kilvin's office. And oh, this part's great. Kilvin comes, or he comes in and Kilvin's, you know, tinkering and puttering away as always. And he's not even really looking up from his work. He's just kind of doing his thing. And he's like, Kavol, you look much better. And he's like, what are you talking? And then he realizes like, it's been a couple of spans since like, Basically, Willem and Simmons told Kilvin, like, Kavold isn't rested or well enough to be working for you. Like, mm-hmm. lay him off for a bit. Yep. So, he's already keeping tabs on many a thing. And then Kavold says, I- I'd like to pay you back. And Kilvin says, you don't you don't owe me anything. And Kavold is like, well, I mean the shop then. Yeah. Like, I want like to I've been back. using materials that uh, during my studies. And, like, I, kn- I know those aren't free. And, and Kilvin, actually- without skipping a beat, says, one talent, seven jots, and three like, his mind has just got to be all numbers that, like, are all just stored away and, like, so good. So Kavos kind of surprised, like, oh, I can't even imagine, like, what his mind is like in there. It's very, like, methodical and mechanical, and I feel like he's got to have some kind of photographic memory situation. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to pay him back. Kilvin is surprised at how much money Kavos has, and he's like, did you come to this in an honorable way? Yes, I love He's like, I trust you came by this money in an honorable, honorable way, Kavuth. Yeah, like making sure that he didn't steal it or anything. Kavuth explains he received the money for playing at the Aeolian the night prior. And Kilvin is surprised that that much, like he made that much money. So he assumes that Kavuth no longer wants to work in his shop for him because he can make more money as a musician. Yeah, there, so there's, there's a this, really good line though. He's like, they pay money like this every night. He's like, I wouldn't know. It was my first night playing. Yeah. Like, you cocky little, like, ugh. I can't. I literally can't. I know. I think he literally says Oxidol's uh, showmanship is rubbing off on you. Yeah, he does. I know. It's funny. Kilvin, like, cuts straight through his bullshit. But it is funny, too, because Kavoth obviously wants to come back to work, and Kilvin is, like, kind of, you know, busting balls a little bit, saying, like, oh, if you're going to make this much money playing, you clearly don't need to come work for me kind of testing him. Yeah. And Kavoth is obviously like, no, no, I really, I do want to come back. Yeah, he's like a gas. He's like, no, like, I want No, I have, I mean, he wants to do everything, Yeah. Well, then, like, Kilvin's, like, probably his closest ally as a mentor and closest to, like, being sponsored to Raylar. He should not throw that away. Exactly. For sure, good point. I had not thought of that. And so, he was like, no, I want to be here. I want to work with you. And so, Kilvin... Was like I think he just says, like, don't be late for your shifts then. Yeah. And then he goes, music is a good thing, but... 
Oh, yeah, this is a really interesting thing. So I think he says music is good, but it doesn't last. And metal and machinery are the things that do last. It's yeah. kind of what it boils down to. Kavoth disagrees inwardly. Yes. Saying so that metal rusts and music will last forever. Last forever. And I think the chapter ends with him saying only time will tell if one of us is is right. Uh, there is this one small little portion left at... Um... Just time out. Who do you agree with? Ooh, yeah. Okay. <sighs> I think within this world, music does seem to last forever because music is passed down through generations and songs have a sense of power in this world mm-hmm. unbeknownst to the people in it. So I think in that regards, I would have to say music would be more like longer lasting than an object. But I I don't know. I guess that's how you look at it. I feel like I agree with Kavoth more than Kilvin. Mm. Well, unless he's more you think, of a practical Unless you think person. about what Kilvin said in terms of like the impacts that, you know, machinery and invention and technology make on the world last forever. Yeah. And the impacts that music does. Well, Kilvin's a very black and white practical person. Yeah. So it makes so much sense that for him, like, innovation, invention, like, these are the important things. Yeah, and just things that are useful. Yeah. Music isn't necessarily useful in a practical sense. It's not something you can hold. It's not a tool. But I think those are the things that, for Kvothe, like, they touch the human spirit so much more and they last so much longer as they are passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And they take on like a new meaning with every, for every person. Yeah, for sure. They live in people basically. And listeners, whatever you think we would love to hear from you guys, music or technology and innovation. Mm, We'd love to hear your input on that and what your thoughts are for that. Shoot us an email or a message on Instagram, and we will continue this discussion. Definitely. All right, so how does this chapter end? Kavot actually ends heading up, ends up heading over to the Horse and Four, which is like one of the nicest inns oh, in Oh, yeah. And he, he showed off his talent pipes and basically bargained for... He gets hired as like the house musician at this tavern. Yeah. And he, in exchange, gets a suite of rooms. Yeah, so not even just a board. little room, like a room that's got like a little washroom and like a living room attached to it. Does he get meals? He gets a, like a weekly allowance too. Yeah, he would earn two silver talents every month. So like a stupid amount of money for him. For him, yeah. And like steady income, not just like a one-time thing. Yeah, plus whatever tips and gifts from wealthy customers might give him. That's a such a good deal. So between like this new setup, working in the fishery, and a patron on the horizon, like things are really looking up for Kavoth. He's finally like getting out of poverty. Well, that's what he thinks. Yeah, but, but... I, I really like this line that finishes up this chapter. He's like, if you've ever been desperately poor, I doubt you can understand the relief I felt. One small catastrophe could ruin him. Yeah. And he would not have to, like, worry about, like, Debbie's loan and tuition. Like, things are finally going to, like, be okay. So the chapter ends with him basically, like, dining like a king at the Horse and Four, having, like, steak and salad and soup and dessert and just, like, living life. And then just, like, falling asleep like a dead person in this big, soft, like, squishy, comfy, like, luxurious bed. Ugh. 
such a different different setup than he's ever had. Yeah. Like not even when he lived with his family did he live in like luxury like that. I think it was more like simple practicality of yeah, like, it was a caravan. In the caravans. Which yeah. I think seemed very comfortable. This is definitely more like high class than he's used to. Yeah, for the first time he's like living luxuriously and it's really nice. It is, but as we enter our next chapters we see it is very short lived. Very short lived. Chapter sixty one. Jackass, Jackass. <laughs> so Kavoth is living in that sweet spot of time between admissions and the start of the semester, so he has no real responsibility right now. Yeah, it's a nice And he lull. is just living it up at the horse and four and, you know, really enjoying his time. And he keeps going over to Imre and he tells his friends, usually it's because he is visiting Count Threpe or hanging out with the other musicians at the Olean, but obviously these are excuses because he's looking for Denna. And I love this. He goes, after my sixth fruitless trip to Imre, I decided to abandon my search. After my ninth, I convinced myself it was a waste of time. After my 14th trip, I came to the deep realization that I wouldn't find her. She was well and truly gone. Again. (laughs) So just that, like, kind of reckless abandon of, like, well, maybe just one more trip. Maybe just one more. Just young love, just hopelessly, hopelessly hoping. Yeah. Despite... What? Dayok. No, Stajan. Yeah. No, said, yeah. He did warn him. <laughs> so, he's been warned, but he has, you know, tasted this forbidden fruit and wants more. Um, but it is on one of these trips to the island that he ends up encountering Count Threpe, and this is where he starts to get some news and realizes just how much trouble Ambrose can be for him. Yeah. So, apparently, what Ambrose has done, using his influence as the son of the Baron Jackus, spread rumors, made threats, and turned almost all of the nobility against Kavoth. So despite Threpe's attempts, nobody will take him on. So Kavoth cannot get a patron, which is really disappointing for him. And even Count Threpe is feeling for him because he knows he's like a gifted musician who deserves... Super gifted. Yeah, not even like, oh, you need... The, I don't even think Count Threpe realizes how much he needs the money, but he's like, it's such a waste of your talents that, like, no one will pick you up. Yeah. It's so stupid. <laughs> so, of course, since they're at a bar, they are drinking away and grumbling and hemming and hawing over how annoying Ambrose Jackus is. Yeah. And the crowd starts to come in. Threpe gets up and sings a, a parody-type song about one of the Tarbian's councilmen. And, you know, Kavoth kind of realizes that Threpe does these sort of mean types of songs sometimes. <laughs> so it's only a matter of a little bit of time before they start composing a song about Ambrose. And I just love that they say Threpe was an inveterate gossip monger with a knack for tasteless innuendo. And I've always had a gift for catchy tune. <laughs> so between the two of them, they write this a uh, song called Jackass Jackass, which obviously is a pun on his name, Jackass. And the song is about a donkey who wants to be an arcanist. <laughs> <laughs> so they never actually say it's Ambrose, but everyone knows who it is. And they get up on stage and they're pretty drunk at this point. And, you know, they get up there and everyone just goes wild. They're all excited to see what kind of nonsense is about to come out. And everyone 
loves this song. <laughs> it's mean, it's catchy, and as Kvothe says, if you had one ear in a bucket, you could carry the tune. So, of course, this song spreads so fast through the university, through Imre, like, everyone's singing this song. <laughs> but we'll come back to that. The chapter switches, and Kvothe actually is in the archives now. He is going in to talk to Master Lauren about getting his book back, the one he pawned in Tarbian. Oh, this All whole section is really cool. Many months ago. Um, but as he goes in, he knows that Will is running the desk, so he's talking to Will, just as friends do. And Will says he has to wait because there's a man talking to Lauren right now, and like you'll just have to wait for them to finish their meeting. And then this man comes out. It's a tall Kialdish man, so he and Will speak to each other in Siaru. Then this guy turns to Kavoth and tries talking to him. In Yilish. In, yeah, Yilish. And the way he's described, Kavoth says he has, like, long hair that's pulled back. He has... He doesn't have the typical beard for Kaldish people. No, but, but he's, he's wearing, like, traveling like... clothes, and he's wearing a sword, which he's never seen anyone wear armor or have weapons at the university before so he's very intrigued by this man so yes the guy tries to talk to him in yilish and kavoth is like oh i don't i don't speak that so then i start speaking in a torin together the guy is really interesting he's like oh your red hair is what fooled me that's why i thought you were from yul but you're not you're one of the rue aren't you so he recognizes kavoth which i think is so cool i don't know if it says that he recognizes kavoth but i don't know what gives it away that he knows he's on the edema he recognizes something about him like i don't know what it is yeah but he like feels the bond between the two of them and he just says one family they shake hands and the guy says i wish that i could stay longer and like catch you up on the family and we could chat a little bit but i have to i have to go right now yeah, he's um, gonna catch a boat or something. Yeah, he has to catch a ship. And I'll talk to you when I'm back. And so far, between the next book, his character has not come back yet. But no, I'm very I love... intrigued by him because Patrick Rothfuss is a very intentional writer. He would not introduce his character for no reason, especially if it's someone who is connected to Kavoth by also being part of the Adimaru. So I predict. Or at least as like an ally or. Yeah, he's going with to end up family. coming back into the story somehow, but I just, I don't really know how. Yeah. No, this character is really cool. He just seems like he's almost out of, like, Skyrim or something. He's just, like, one of the knowledge seekers for lore, and, like, he travels the world, like, acquiring books and bringing them back to the universe. Yeah, like, he's really cool. He's a, wicked badass. Um, a giller, so he has, he's a full arcanist, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's really, I think he's a very fascinating character, but we don't get any more information about him. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, one day, we'll learn more. Um, but then, obviously, because that man whose name was Viari left, Lauren is now free, so Kavoth can go have his meeting with him. Kavoth goes in to buy back his copy of Rhetoric and Logic, and does so. And Lauren's always very, like, He's always cool. described as cool, or coolie, and it's so funny because in comparison with, like, J.K. Rowling's books, like the uh, like first few. Oh Harry yeah, Potter's. she uses the word "cool" a lot. Yeah, it's always like Harry said "cooly," and it's <laughs> funny because I in think that those context, two are different types oh, of cool. Oh, it totally though. is, but when I read it, I instantly think of that. So like, Lauren is described as cool, being like very level-headed, very like kind of like 
flat and monotone. Very calm. Calm on the surface. But, like, when I read it, it's, like, coolly. Like, <laughs> like so I'm cool. To be like, yeah, like, cool. <laughs> and just, like, no, that is not it. No, not at all. One thing I think is interesting is that Kavoth usually describes him as, like, a standing stone. Mm. But in this scene, he describes him looking like the silent doctor from many Modigan plays. And Kavoth notes that the doctor character always sing- signals disaster in the next act. And as we know, coming up through the next several chapters, there are multiple disasters for Kavoth. So that is pretty interesting that he points that out. But anyway, he does get his book back from Lauren and thanks him for taking care of it. And then tries to kind of persuade persuade Lauren. Lauren that he would like to come be able to go back into the archives. Like it's an awkward but firm conversation on Lauren's part. He was like, you brought fire into my archives, into my library with my books. Like absolutely not regardless of intention. Like, and of course I think this conversation is going to go in Kavot's mind, go very differently. Yeah. And he backpedals as soon as Lauren says that. And he's like, well, you know, I was whipped that day and Ambrose and he gets cut off. And Lauren is like, who am I supposed to believe? You who I don't know who has fire in my archives or a Raylar who's worked for me for several semesters. Yeah. Like, like it's your word against his, but I'm going to have to go with the person I know. Well, Kavot's kind of shook by this. He like doesn't know how to react because I think he embarrassed himself by like bringing that up again. And he's like, I would do like anything to like earn my spot back. He's like, I'd gladly get whipped again. I'd give you all the money I know. I would work without pay as a scriv. Like I know you need extra hands sometimes, especially during exams. I think this kind of piques Lauren's interest though. He's like, you do all that. And he's like, and anything else, like whatever it takes to get like admitted back into the archives. I think it piques Lauren's interest, but it's also, so Lauren responds by saying, you only have to do one thing, and that one thing is show the patience that you don't have. Yeah. And it's interesting that Kavoth offers all these, like, kind of desperate things that would get him back in, like, I'll just pay you. Oh, I'll just work for you. Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll be whipped again, like the shortcut way. Yeah. And and Lauren wants him to learn and be patient, and that's the one thing Kavoth doesn't do. So the fact that he offers up all these other alternatives, I think Lauren's like, oh, well, you've sealed your own fate. You're not ready yet. Well, it's maybe not that he's not ready yet. Lauren doesn't realize that Kavoth's tenure here is like a ticking time bomb. I don't think he realizes that at all. I'm also still kind of convinced that Lauren potentially could be an Amir and doesn't want Kavoth in the archives looking for information about the Shandrian. Mm, because they do bring up many many times that like nobody gets expelled people have been suspended from the archives but no one's been been banned yeah been banned expelled or banned from the archives yeah that in itself is a pretty extreme thing and it happened just after lauren sat him down and was like don't look for the chandrian oh wow i didn't even think about that yeah so i think he was nervous that kavoth was like digging a little too deep and sticking his nose where it didn't belong and this was the only way he could come up with to like yeah that's fair i mean it was a severe crime it was it definitely was but i think potentially in other circumstances it would have been a it suspension also in his favor yeah not a bam huh that's cool i didn't even think about that also it's uh, interesting that the thing he says Kavoth needs to do is demonstrate patience, and that's something that you can't really measure. Like, Kavoth offers to give him a certain amount of money or be whipped again, 
or work for him for a certain amount of time for free, which are all like measurable things like, oh, once you've paid your amount or once you've been whipped or once you've worked for me, then you're back in. Whereas, you know, demonstrate patience is very subjective. Lauren can still decide when he wants Kvothe back in there or not. True. But either way, he does not let Kvothe back in. <laughs> no, but he does get rhetoric and logic back. He does, which I think is really sweet and it has Ben's inscription in it. And I think he has like a little moment of nostalgia and fond memories, but we don't really get to see too much of that. Um, the next scene in the chapter happens when Kvothe is abruptly awoken out of his sleep at his vast bed in the horse and four. Yes, which is also a great name for an inn. I really like that name a lot. I love that they mention several inn and tavern names throughout this, and I love all of them. They sound... Like, when, remember when you and I went to London and all of the taverns had those weird names? Yeah, like there was like the goose... Yeah, there was, like, the goose, and then there was, like, the fox in the barn, and, like, all these weird names that, like, didn't really fit in with modern London, but they were were all these old pubs that had really funny names. But anyway, so Ambrose finally caught wind of Jackass Jackass. Oh, yeah. And is calling Kvothe onto the horns for retribution, so Kvothe is like, oh, well... I knew this was going to happen eventually, but also after Lauren just told me to be patient and, like, respectful, this is the exact kind of attention I didn't want. Yeah. But anyway, he gets to the master's hall, and it's pretty relaxed in there. They're about to do, I think, they're still working through admissions, um, so the masters are kind of, like, trying to hurry everything along. Ambrose's only argument is handing them a copy of the lyrics to this song. You've heard it. You know what this is. This is Slanders Against My Good Name. Yeah. (laughs) And Kavoth doesn't shy away from it. The Chancellor asks if he has a defense, and he says... It was in poor taste. It was in poor taste. once. I played it once. That's all I have to say for myself. Yeah. Which is honest and true, and honestly, probably the best way he could have approached that situation. (laughs) And I just love the Chancellor's whole delivery. This is so funny. He calls a spade a spade, and is like... Ambrose, are you a donkey? (laughs) (laughs) All stiff. No, sir. Oh, but then the next question kills me. He cleared his throat (laughs) directly off the page. Are you possessed of a pizzle bound to fizzle? (laughs) Like, you can see, like, a few of the masters, like... Like, the masters are, like, trying to keep a straight face, but they're about to, like, burst into laughter. Ambrose... just grinning like an idiot. At one point, Eldon starts humming the song, like, gives no fucks, and Ambrose is just up there, like, you know when, like, people are, like, just getting redder and redder, and, like, he's, like, trying to keep it together, but he's just like, this is preposterous, like, yeah. nobody's on my side, like, how could you? the tea kettle's about to go off. Yeah. And so since, clearly, Ambrose is not a donkey, he's like, then I don't see the problem. Stop wasting our time. Yeah, he's like, I moved... I move the charge of conduct unbecoming be replaced with undignified mischief. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, which is a way less uh, intense of a charge. And so all Kaboth has to do is write Ambrose a letter of apology, but of course... It's him and Brander being like, make it a formal like, public apology. Which honestly ends up panning out to, I think, be a funnier situation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> than if Kaboth just had to write a private letter to Ambrose. And then, so before... Um, Everyone gets up to leave. The Chancellor leans forward and looks down at Ambrose and says, In the future, you will refrain from wasting our time with Spurgeous charges. 
And Ambrose is like, yes, sir. And just so angry and just about to explode. And as he's walking away, Eldon bursts out singing. He's a well-bred ass. You can see it in his stride. And for a copper penny, he'll let you take a ride. <laughs> I wish we got the rest of the lyrics of this song because it's just so stupid. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. It's so great. Oh, my goodness. At this point, Kavolos is like, all right, the worst is over. Or so he thinks with his feud with Ambrose. No, 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 no. He only manages to live well as revenge for two more days. On the third day, the horse and four abruptly and mysteriously has a new owner. Who decides they don't need a house musician anymore and Kavoth is made redundant and it's time for him to go. <laughs> so he's basically kicked out of the horse and four. But he's like, fear not, there's so many, like, nice inns and Oh, this is where pubs. we get all the names of the inns and pubs, yeah. Yeah. So he's like, oh, it's fine, I'll just, I'll just go somewhere else. So he goes to the innkeeper at Hollybush, Whiteheart and Queen's Crown, but they were all cur- content with their current musicians. Yep. At the Golden Pony, great name for a pub. Isn't that the name of the pub in Lord of the Rings? Prancing Pony. Oh, Prancing Pony, Prancing Pony. Whoops. That's okay. Very similar, though. He was, like, turned away at the Golden Pony, at the Royal Oak, and... Yeah, and, like, the list just keeps going and going. And then he goes to, like, the less reputable ones, let's say, the Boar's Head, Dog in the Wall, stays in. Dog in the Wall cracks me up. Because you can just, like, you you can tell by the names are getting less and less nice. Yeah, the other ones sounded a little more posh, and then basically using rough around the edges. Bribes, threats, rumors... Ambrose is like turned all these innkeepers and people. He works so fast. Kavoth, yeah. Not only that, but to like buy an inn. I'm. I think Kavoth brings it up later, but he's like the fact that Ambrose has a, enough money lying around where he can just buy an entire establishment. Like he never could. Like at the drop of a hat, like he just spent probably between one and five thousand talents, and Kavoth is worried about six talents. Like that's vast inequality between those two. Yeah, he never considered how Ambrose could use, like, his exorbitant wealth to against screw, yeah. yeah. I think he thought they were, like, you know, it's just within the realm of the university, they can't do anything that bad to each other because the masters won't let them. But this is kind of backhanded and sneaky in, in fields where Ambrose has way more power and influence just because he has so much money and resources at his disposal. Kavoth did not even think that would come into play. Yeah, like, how he could use that against him, like a weapon. Yeah, but eventually he comes to Ankers. Ugh, love, love, love this whole interaction. This guy's so, so great. Just like the perfect, like, dive bar. Yeah, a little rough around the edges, but, like, an honest place. Yes. It's honest work. <laughs> Literally. So he gets to Ankers, and this is where he's found out that someone had come around and, and told all the inns not to hire a red-haired musician, because Anker. Yeah. The owner of the bar is talking to Kavoth, and he's like, "Oh, you must be that red-haired guy that everyone said to be, yeah, not like to not hire." And Kavoth's like, oh, "All right, fine, I'll just be on my way." Yeah, I won't waste your time. He's like, "You're not wasting it yet." Oh, it's so good. He's um, like, "Place could use some music," and he's like, "Are you worried about trouble?" And I just love. He's like, "I own this place. Like nobody can take it from me or buy it out from me like they did the the horse and pony." I'm not worried about trouble. And I've been in trouble before you were born. Yeah, I can handle trouble. trouble. Don't you worry, kid. Like, yeah, just... I got this under control. So I think what it shakes down to is Kvothe gets a little room at Ankers in exchange for playing two nights a week? It's like two nights a span, basically. Oh, that's not bad. 
But I like this whole interaction because it's basically like a couple of like blue collar guys being like, oh, screw the nobility. They think they can buy the world. Like, yeah, they think their money will fix do. all their problems. Like, I'll just take my fate into my own hands. Like, you can't touch me. Yeah. It's really cozy. He gets a room over at Onkers. He can basically scoop a meal anytime there's something in the pot, and he's got to play a couple nights of span. It's not a bad setup, all things considered. I mean, compared to what he had, yeah. definitely a step down. But the fact that he has been thwarted by Ambrose in this situation and can no longer get work anywhere, this is the best he's going to do, and it, it works out for him. And it just yeah. seems really homey. Like, they're like, yeah, help yourself to anything in the pot, and, like, we'll give you this little room, which is very... I don't know, it's very quaint. I like it. Yeah. But when he talks about, like, his cozy small room with the slanted ceilings on two sides, um, he talks about rooms as if, like, they were shoes. Mm. Where it's like, you don't always want the biggest you can find. You want the pair that fits. And that tiny room at Ankers became more of a home to him than anywhere in the world. I think it's interesting, too, because there was that situation way earlier in Tarbian with the shoes. Yeah. And the guy's like, you don't want, like, the shoes that are too big or, like, too fancy because, like, they'll just fall apart on you. You want the ones that fit you just right and are, like, for the purposes you need. So it's an interesting, like, common metaphor that keeps coming up. Yep. But I think he uses his time at Ankers to write his letter of apology yes, to Ambrose. Although he has a place to be, that's not the muse with like the disdain of his like other classmates. He's mad of what he's lost. He was literally like living large at the horse and four, and now he's like reduced to being at Ankers, where it's like better than nothing. And he does come to love it, but of course, like this has all just happened, so he's it's. It's raw, and he's freshly mad about it. So he yeah. writes this, like... His public letter of apology Dripping with, like, over-the-top kind of sarcasm and, like, Venice bending over... sincerity. <laughs> yeah, kind of bending over backwards. Like, oh, my lord, I'm so sorry. Gnashed but... his teeth over the fact that he maligned a, a fellow student. But it's funny, too, because he includes... A all of the lyrics yes. and then a couple extra verses that hadn't even been added yet. So now with full musical notation. Yeah, you know, so goes. everybody now knows the song in case you didn't have it before. Now everybody has it. Yep. And Will and Sim being the best of friends. Oh, and he calls in his favor from Jackson too, who yep. he traded his slot with. For a hundred copies of the letter. Yep, so they make a bunch of copies. They to get this glue that Sim like cooks up, which is like dries as hard as steel so they put it up in all these public places and it's basically irremovable <laughs> yeah it's like it goes on like glass like it hardens as glass like it's clear but it's like it's like strong. so strong so no one's gonna take these down unless they like chisel them away yeah and this chapter ends with the lovely uh foreshadowing if i had to guess I'd say this particular piece of insolence was the main reason Ambrose eventually tried to kill me. Chapter 62. Leaves. In this chapter, we get introduced to a substance called bone tar, which is pretty interesting. So Kavoth is limiting his studies to advanced sympathy with Elksadal, a shift in the Medica, and his apprenticeship in the fishery with Mene. And this is where he gets introduced to this stuff called bone tar. So... In the fishery, obviously, it's super dangerous. There's, like, machinery and forges and all sorts of crazy equipment in there that, like, could cause a devastating accident or injury at any moment. But Kavoth gets uh, summoned because they all have to 
get this kind of like initiation to this new substance, the bone tar. Which um, is like fascinatingly destructive and dangerous, but I just love that it's in this giant like keg, like this pressurized keg that has to be like chilled. It has to be super, super cold because it catches on fire at room temperature. Room temperature. So Kavotha's watching uh, Kilvin kind of demonstrate the dangers of this new substance and like what it can be used for with Manet, who's Playing his mentor today. <laughs> playing the dutiful mentor. The dutiful mentor. Um, and they're, like, in the back, like, make cracking jokes and kind of, like, snickering and stuff. And it's funny because Kilvin's very businesslike, like, as we said, very practical. So so he like, he's like, this is bone tar, it's caustic, spill it on your arm and you'll be in trouble. Uh, and that talks about, like, how important it is to chill the substance. And then just kind of, like, throws a vial of bone tar into... Um, a firewell and then they see like the fire come up and like all this like weird well, like, smoke it come up, out it smokes so if the substance touches you it like burns and corrodes your skin the smoke is like poisonous and then like the greasy smoke the it, smoke like doesn't it, diffuse it just like hovers and hovers but then like ignites on fire and then creates more like fire clouds and fire fog from it Oh, yeah, yeah, so the cloud of it catches fire, too. It's so weird. It's, like, very bizarre stuff. And that's the entire demonstration that Kelvin gives, and Kavot's like, whoa, what is, what was that? Yeah. Basically, Manet's like, use... you know, Kelvin's not a showman, but, like, that stuff is really dangerous, but it can be used to make blue emitters for lamps, which is actually really cool. And they sell for a high price. A high price. And so Kavoth obviously, you know, always needing cash is like, well, that and demonstration took way less time than I thought, so I have plenty of time. Show me how, Monet. Show me how these are made. Monet says, sure. And then we get another scene jump to later that night at Ankers. Kavoth is playing. You know, he's got the crowd kind of going, and he thinks he sees this beautiful girl in the back. And she catches his eye, and he's like, oh shit, it's Denna. And stumbles and, like, drops the song, and everyone laughs. There's a really cool part about him playing music at Ankers is, like, they appreciate his music the way no the nobility never do. Yeah, like, the people really get into it. They're, like, singing along and having a really fun time. Yeah. Um, It's not, like, too prim and proper where he has to... Like, have... It's a little more raucous, I think. Yeah. Like, people are really enjoying themselves. So he sees Denna, and she's like... Oh, every time you see a pretty girl, do you like? Does your song fall apart? Like just being a little flirty with him, and uh, she invites him to come away with her afterward. He lies, obviously, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm almost done playing." And then just, he gets Anker to let him go for the night, but Anker's is is like, "Are you in trouble?" Well, he's like Anker, and he like pulls him as he's carrying like all these bowls of soup, which like for a smart guy, really dumb thing. He oh, I thought it was like a spill. bunch of pints. Is it beer? I think he's carrying... Because Anker's, like, pulling beers. Oh, that's what it was. Sorry, but... But either way, he's got, like, a tray full of pints. And, and he's like, like, I have to go, like, all abrupt. He's, he's like, what's idiot. going on? He's like, are you in trouble? And he's like, no. He's like, it's a girl, then. Like, it just... I know. So Anker knows. He's so good. Um, and he's like, you better make, like, your last song really good, then. Make I'll let you go. Long. But you owe me. So, yeah. Kavoth is actually really, really clever here. He plays Tinker Tanner, which he always describes as the oldest song in the world. And so he does a couple of rounds of it, 
and then but slowly then, goes like, like each walks table. to a table and like gets them to sing a verse and then like sings the chorus and then gets the next table to sing the verse and like passes it around the room. So. Yeah, but everyone's like stoked to like have their rendition be heard and like yeah. add to it. So like the the song just like has a life of its own and is you know making its way around the bar and everyone's like singing and pounding their fists and like yelling and having such a good time that he's able to slip out the back with Denna and nobody notices but it was pretty clever of him to to end everything in that way like everyone's all riled up now and so he's like oh I gotta put my loot case in <laughs> <laughs> he like jumps across the rooftops like shimmies over a gutter jumps over an alley and like into it's like wind. left foot rain barrel like yeah do, do, like do 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 like parkouring up the alleyway. So and I can't tell if, like, he's trying to show off or he just didn't feel like going back up his room, up the stairs. I think he's or... trying to show off a little bit. Yeah. Because it's such a weird thing to do, but I think also he was trying to sneak out without being noticed. Oh, that's right. And if you had to go up... I mean, although he could have gone up the stairs and then just come out the window. I think he's trying to show off a little bit. Yeah. Check out my Thieves Guild skills. I know. Check out my <laughs> sweet parkour skills. But Dennis like, what are you, what are you doing? She's like, does Ankers charge you to use the stairs? Yeah, like, why are you running up the side of a wall? But only 15-year-old boy, like, sweaty, like, out of breath. It's nothing, I'm cool, I'm cool. <laughs> I'm cool, I'm cool, it's fine. I just, you know, I always run up the side of a wall every time I need to do something. <laughs> and they have this, you know, very flirty conversation. He's like, oh, were you looking for a gentleman to walk with you? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, sorry, I'm not a gentleman. And so, I'm you know, they just, they just have this weird banter. But eventually the conversation turns to Denna being disappointed that all men tried to give her roses. Yeah. And she's like, roses are fine, but it's always roses and they're always red. It's always a dozen perfect roses. Like, can't you think of something else? Like, all you men are exactly the same. So she puts Kavoth, like, right under the light and is like, what would you give me? And he's like, stalling. Oh, yeah, stalling. I'm gonna stall. Stalling. So he goes through, like, every flower instead of picking one at first. But he's, like, so infatuated with her that he wants to say things. So, like, when he's like, well, you know, people might give you roses because they think you're beautiful or because. He thinks that their shade or their shape is similar to, like, the shape of your lips, which is clearly, like, what he's thinking. Yeah. But he's trying to beat around the bush. And eventually he does... Does he pick a sealess flower? Yes, a sealess flower. And, of course, it's a one flower she's never seen. She's like, really? Yeah. Is that what you had to pick? But it's also funny. He does, like, this thing where he, like, touches her face for a moment, and he's all, like, mad heartbeats after. He's like, oh, my God, that was, like, the boldest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And, like... Of course, she, like, touches her face where he touched her, and he's like, did she like it? Was she wiping me away? What do I do? I can't touch her again. And, like, there's this, like, little, like, running monologue of, like, was that a good idea? Did I blow it? Was that a good idea? Like, good, bad, I don't know. Very, like, jumping to all the extremes of the situation. So he, like, decides that that was, you know, bold enough and doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, Settles on Seal's Flower. She is disappointed that she does not know what a Seal's Flower is. But he describes it as a flower that is dark and delicate, but grow in shadowy, like the plant grows in shadowy places, but the flowers bloom only where the sun hits it, which I think is actually a very like poetic thing to say about somebody, especially if you're only 15 and you like think that hard about someone's like personality. Doesn't Um, she say like you think too highly of me? mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think way too much of me. 
she says she likes daisies. Simple and sweet and kind of plain. So I think she kind of has low self-esteem is what this is kind of getting to. She thinks of herself as kind of plain. Um, average. Average. Nice, but not, like, amazing. Yeah, and I think she's worried that everyone thinks so highly of her. So, and she's like, you know, I'm just this, like, regular person. Yeah. But interestingly enough, Kavoth jokes back, and he's like, well, what flower would you bring to me? And she has clearly thought of this because she says a willow blossom, like, without... Yeah, like, immediately. Uh, yeah, no pause. It's like, oh, a willow blossom. Strong, deep-rooted, and hidden. You move easily when the storm comes, but never farther than you wish. So these two, like, clearly think about each other all the time and, like, know each other on kind of, like, a, a soul level. Yeah, like, very intimately. But I think they're also kind of scared of the other person. Like, they don't want to lose what they have by changing it in any way. So they never get too close. At the end of the night, Kvothe doesn't want to kiss her because he's, like, nervous it's going to, like, be too much. Yeah. Well, he does want to, but he's too afraid to. He doesn't end up doing it. No. Yeah, I think he's just nervous he feels like drawn in by her but then is also like doesn't want to scare her away and then at the back of his mind dax like warning like was like don't don't fall too hard for her so he feels very conflicted but he now knows where she's staying because he drops her off at her inn at the end of the night so he's like oh i can go back to the oaken ore which is her inn and come back and see her whenever i want (laughs) but i love this he's like you know on cloud nine Thinks he had the best night ever. And then in the space of three breaths, I had ruined everything. All the things I had said, things that seemed so clever at the time, were in fact the worst things a fool could say. Yeah, just like over. She must be inside laughing at me right now. <laughs> I think... I think we've all you, been yeah, there. Yeah, you've been on like dates and like you're like stoked, but you're so nervous. You're just doing your best. And then you go home, you're like, I'm an idiot. Like, I mean, even just like sometimes meeting new people, like yeah. especially in a professional setting, sometimes I feel like you're just like say things. And then afterwards you're like, what? Why would I ever say this? Like if you're trying to like meet someone who you like admire, especially if you admire their work or whatever, it's like, it's just such a weird dynamic. And I feel like I, <laughs> I was like, it feels so awkward about the things I say afterward. Like, just be yourself, and then as soon as I meet someone, I'm like, hi, I'm completely different now. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, Kavoth has full of, you know, it was the best and it was the worst all at once. And but I just love it. It's like, tonight was fun. Takes three steps. I blew it. I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> but he does wish he had kissed her, I think, at the end. But that brings us to the end of the chapter. Chapter 63, Walking and Talking. This chapter opens up with Kavoth um, meeting up with Lone Sim by the pendant pole where he's been whipped, which kind of has become like their meeting spot. It was kind of an odd meeting spot, but I guess it's, you know, Kavoth is the master of the pendant pole. Yeah. He didn't bleed, so it's his space now. And, um... They definitely, like... Bust his balls immediately and we're like, where were you last night? Yeah, and he's like, I was playing at Onkers. And they were like, no, you weren't. We yeah, stopped by we and stopped you weren't there. By and you weren't there and you had agreed to play a game with us. Yeah, there was like, oh, we were going to play Corners, like their card game. With Fenton, right? The guy yeah. that... um Exodol's class. Yeah, who 
gave himself binders chills. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were, like, friends with him. Well, I mean, I guess they're friendly. He's definitely not an inner circle, but... No, I just, I'd kind of forgotten about him as a character, honestly. <laughs> I love this, though. When we figured you weren't going to show, we went to the library to drink and look at girls. Is the library an inn? It's clearly like a pub or <laughs> I love that. We're drinking and looking at girls. Yeah. And so they were like, so, uh, who'd, who'd you, uh, run off with if you weren't at Onkers? He's like, oh, uh, you know, Diane. And he's like, that's the one, the girl you've been chasing around, right? And he's like, I haven't been chasing anyone. I've been looking for her from time to time and haven't found her. Dude, you walked 14 times to Imre. <laughs> oh, yeah, he'd been chasing. You've been chasing. He was like, oh, she found me. We went on a walk. And so they start, like... Sam's like, oh, that's a pretty good sign, though, that, like, she came looking for you. Like, give us all the details. Like, they want to know all the gossip right away. I love this. So did you, uh, make music? I love that everyone keeps... Duet. <laughs> everybody keeps saying that. Making music. With making music with her. And then just Sam, like, pushing it. He's like, oh, yeah, you, uh, walked her home. <laughs> I, I know. Like, looking so hard for, like, more more details than there are. Yeah. You locked her home. But, um, I mean, Kavod, like, tries to eventually get around to telling them, like, what happened. He's like, we walked. And he's like, for a few hours, um, six. Um, six hours. But then, like, couldn't even really... He kind of, like, starts rambling. And Sim is like, you've rambled on about this girl for so long. You can't tell me that you talked for six hours and don't have anything more to say. And so Quoth's like, fine, I will tell you. But then immediately starts rambling. So he's like, you know, we we took the long way back. We stopped here. We stopped here. We went to a park. We sat by this river. We talked about, I don't know, songs, traveling, whatever. And he's kind of rambling, but like to a point where he doesn't really know what he's trying to say anymore. And Willem's like, oh my God, you finally don't have anything to say. A woman has finally shut you up. (laughs) You've been taken down. And it's and it's like... They're like, you're in love. I know. Simmons. like, I think you're scared. Why are you all bashful about this? <laughs> so it's like, both is like, yeah, I'm scared. Like, she's intimidating in, like, a intoxicating way. Yes. Like, all I can... I, like, it's impossible for me to not just, like, get up and run and, like, look for her all the time. Like, I'm just infatuated. It's funny because Simmons like, okay... Go. Go get her. Yeah. And Kvothe is like, you can't just do that. And it's funny, because Simmons is so simple in his, like, approach to things sometimes. And it's funny, because Kvothe and him get kind of picky at each other sometimes. Like, yeah. Like, Simmons has a bad approach with women, and Kvothe calls him out on it sometimes. Uh, so for him to be like, just go and tell her what you told us, it will work out, which I think is usually actually a pretty good policy, like being honest with someone. Yeah, but Kavolt is like, if I do that, it's going to scare her off. Like, absolutely not. I know. I think it's just funny. This is the one time that someone's actually like giving decent relationship advice of like, go and tell her how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> and Kavolt is like, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, you idiot. <laughs> I know. So he changes the subject about um, how he's now going to start working on his journeyman project, which is like the project you do to graduate out of your apprenticeship at the fishery and become like your own independent artificer. artificer. Sim is kind of surprised because he's like, Kilvin doesn't really like cut corners. You 
you've gone to that pretty quickly. And Kvothe's like, you know, I didn't cut corners, but I'll probably end up doing it soon. And I'm going to make the lamp that everybody makes for their project. Like, everybody makes a sympathy lamp. And Kvothe's kind of eh about doing it. Like, yeah, he wants to make his lamp a little bit different. He's like, if I'm going to make a lamp, I'm going to do unusual. I'm going to do special. I'm going to make it great. I'm going to do me. But then the bell rings and he goes to get his loot so that he can go to class. And it ends with Simmons saying, you know, just tell her. Like, if you like a girl, you have to let her know. Oh, this is where Kvothe is like, yeah, how's that working out for you? Which is a mean thing to say, honestly. And Kvothe realizes it's because he's, like, in over his head. So immediately he's kind of, you know, kicking the guy going, like, besides, there's nothing I have to tell her. I just like spending time with her. Yeah. Um... But at least now, I know where she's staying, and that means I can actually find her when I go looking. Chapter 64, Nine in the Fire. Great chapter. I love this. Oh, this is a great chapter. It opens with a quick little thing where Kavoth is trying to catch Denna at the Oaken Ore, but um, she's not there when he goes. There's no one there under the name Denna or Diane, but there is a girl named Dinna who's staying there. But she was not there. Dinna or Dine? D-I-N-N-A-H. Oh, is it Dine? I thought it was Dinna. Is it Dinna's ready? <laughs> Dinna's ready. <laughs> Soup's on and Dinna's ready. <laughs> anyway, she's not there. He tries again the next day. She's not there. And on the third day, apparently, she left in the night without paying her bill, which is... Not the best thing to do. Kavoth is like, well, bye then. I'm not going to pay that bill. (laughs) Dinner's not ready. Yeah, I'm not hungry for dinner anymore. (laughs) Um, So he's really disappointed. You know, everyone's been telling him that it's in her nature that she just disappears. And he's like, I should probably just start like listening to their advice. But, you know, he can't. He's just ignoring it. But this brings us to Kilvin's office where Kavoth is giving him his sympathy lamp. Kilvin has to, like, evaluate it to decide whether or not he can graduate out of his apprenticeship or not. Kilvin is very proud of his work. He did all this stuff without any mistakes. He did all the work himself, so he's very pleased with it. Um, especially because, like, the sigildry is his, and it's his Alar that's, like, controlling the, the sympathy that makes the lamp work, which is really cool. He's also very excited because if Kilvin approves it, he'll sell the lamp and he gets money from the commission. So he's, like, real excited. Yes. So, uh, unfortunately, what happened is Kavoth decided to go off the plan and make his own lamp his own way. So he made, basically, the way I can describe it is, like, a lamp that has one beam that comes out of it that you can brighten or dim as needed. But and it's, like, it's a like, crescent shape. It's, like, hyper-focused. Yeah. So I guess kind of like a flashlight instead of just like a oh, lantern. Oh, maglite. Like yeah, like the maglites that you can control the beam on. But I imagine it being influenced more by sympathy. So like there's just a beam of light and outside it is like darkness. Mm. And Kavoth is... Isn't, isn't not uh, Kilvin called a thieves I, lamp? Yeah. So Kilvin's not super pleased with the lamp design. He thinks the work is really good. But... It is, I think he says it's used for people who have unsavory business. And he can't sell something like that because it would reflect really poorly on the university if it was used by, like, a burglar or a thief or some kind of criminal. 
So Kvothe is very disappointed that this is the situation. And it's interesting because Kilvin is like, you know, you made this lamp, but you didn't really think that hard about, like, the consequences of it. Like, I think you were trying to impress me. Both doesn't lie. He's like, yeah, I was trying to impress you. Like, you and I both know I'm one of the best, like, artificers here. I'm a really fast learner. Yeah. I did my apprenticeship so quickly. Of course I wanted to impress you. Like, that's why I made this lamp. Yeah, that's why I did goes, something different. Everyone always makes this uh, same old scheme for a sympathy lamp. I expect that you wanted to demonstrate your extreme cleverness, Kilvin said, matter of fact. <laughs> That's what it is. You wish not only to finish your apprenticeship in half the usual time, you wanted to bring me a lamp of your own improved design. Mm. Let us be frank, Lear Kavoth. You're making this lamp is an attempt to show that you're better than the ordinary apprentice. Is it not? And, like, Kilvin should have calling him right out, looking him right in the eyes. Well, because basically he's like, you could have followed the directions like you were supposed to. I just did your apprenticeship and been done with it, but she did this instead. Yeah. You had to show that you're, you know, you're not the same as everyone else. You, you go above and beyond, but in ways that are not necessarily, like, what people expect you to be doing. Yeah. And that's brought us to to this lamp that I now can't sell. Yeah. And then he goes, you would think I would, it would go to show that I want to impress you. And he's like, well, don't grovel. Like, false modesty does not impress me. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. so I love this. It's just great. Like, he squares his shoulders, looks Kilvin in the eyes. He's like, I am better. I learn faster. I work harder. My hands are more nimble. And my mind is more curious. However, I expect you to know this for yourself without my telling you. And then Kilvin's like, that's better. And I just love that. Or <laughs> he's just like, you know what, be bold. Like, own up to it. Like, you are being bold, so just call spade a spade and like say that's what you're doing yeah and so kilvin gives him credit where credit's due he's like in all fairness i am duly impressed with your skill the lamp is tidily made and the civilry is quite cunning the engraving is precise and it's clever work it is it's a good lamp but this i think this brings us to kind of the same situation where where lauren was saying like you need to learn the patience that you've been lacking and kilvin here is like you need to think about things other than yourself like we are all arcanists if we sold this lamp it would reflect badly on all of us yeah you need to think a little bit more about like the consequences of your actions and more about like the wider world instead of just like everything i do should be a reflection of how great i am yeah (laughs) essentially and it's what it boils down to i mean kilvin obviously didn't say it like that but kilvin's character and i never realized it until maybe like my second reread of these books he is such a high morality character mm. when it comes to things. He's always like, like when he's just a couple of chapters ago paying off his debt to the shop. He's like, did you come by this money honorably? You're making a thieves lamp. Like that could be used like for like ne'er-do-wells. Like, and it could be used for innocent things too. But No, like, but the, I think he... He's so worried about like making sure that the arcanists are doing things that are honorable because I think he's trying to protect... Like, all his students and himself and the university, like, it's best if they all stay honorable. Yeah, I just, I think it's a interesting quality for him to have as a instructor and, like, just a character at the university. It is pretty interesting. Because no one else behaves like that. No, but he's the one, I think, that interacts most with, like, the outside world because all the things out of his shop get sold to other people. You know what? That's actually really fair. So that's a good. So point. like people, most people know the university through these objects, right? So if they're starting to be used for bad purposes, it's gonna reflect badly on the university. Mm, that's true. And they're already walking kind of like 
the razor's, the razor's edge. edge of people not trusting them and he, thinking they're, you know, magicians and warlocks and doing dangerous things. So he's got to be really even, careful about, like, what goes out of the shop. Even, like, the first chapter of this episode where, like, Kavot is talking to Count Threp and he's like, you're at the university? For what? You're a warlock? And he's like, no, I'm just studying uh, math just and studying English. Just math and, yeah, like, comes up with some boring subjects. But, like, yeah, people are very wary of it. So I think... Kilvin being the one who sells all these things to other people has to keep them all very tightly controlled. Yeah. So because of that, unfortunately, he cannot sell Kvothe's lamp. Which sucks. Which sucks. He, like invested the like, whole talent worth of like supplies and stuff. Yeah. On it. So Kvothe is plan pan- geez, planning on this to be a big payback for him, and now it's worthless or negative because he spent money on the supplies. And he's disappointed, but Kelvin's like, you know, go tell Manet your good news. You do pass your apprenticeship. Like, this was a small error of judgment, but, like, it's not... You didn't harm anybody. It's okay. Yeah. But, like, moving forward, just, like, think a little bit more. Kvothe goes out to Manet and says, you know, I passed, but you were right. Kelvin wasn't impressed with my modifications. And Manet says, like, I've been here longer than anyone. Like, you should follow my lead. Like, when I tell you something, it's because I know from experience it's gonna be this way. And classic, I think at and the this, time, classic Kavolt was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, where he was like, just make a regular lamp. Oh, yeah, totally, like, brush that off. But now that Mene is saying, like, I know the universe, <laughs> I know the university better than anyone, Kavolt is like, ping. Oh, you know the university better than anyone? So do you think you could get into the archives without going through the front door? And Mene's like, yeah, but I'm not going to show you. But therefore, indicates to Kavoth that there is a secret route into the archives. Yes. So then Kavoth goes, oh, I just made a robber's lamp that Kelvin can't sell. Let me go see if I can get that back from him and use it, quote unquote, for reading in my room because I've been buying candles. So Kelvin gives him his lamp back, but Kavoth is clearly going to use it to sneak around to get into the archives. Yes. So he played Mene and Kilvin to kind of, like, figure out that, yes, there is another way in, and now he has, like, a tool that can help him find his way. And he is super determined to find it. And it's interesting because Kilvin is very strict when he gives both his lamp back. He says, like, you have to promise that, like, this will not be used for skulking about in the dark. You cannot sell it or lend it. Like, you can't... If it gets into the wrong hands, people will be doing dishonest things. And Kavoth words his promise very carefully and says, I promise no one will be using it but me, period. And that's all he promises. Because he is dead determined to get into the archives. To be skulking in the dark. He will definitely be skulking around in the dark. So this kind of lights a new fire in Kavoth of like, I gotta get into the archives. I need to learn more about the Shandrian. I think he's trying to make his way back to his main goal. And this is his newest attempt at doing so. Chapter 65, Spark. So with this chapter, we have uh, Wilson and Kvothe, uh heading over to the Aeolian. And he is... I think they're celebrating the end of his apprenticeship, right? Yep. That he graduated out. He's buying uh, Wilson drinks at the alien because he basically has a line of credit there, which is really cool. I love this whole like aside. So he's talking about how it's this really old concept. That's kind of a 
a secret between musicians and bars, but what happens is if you are a musician and people offer to buy you drinks, but you don't want any more drinks, you order a fake drink. Yeah, it's like a Grey's Day meal or a Southend or whatever. <laughs> what were those? A Grey's Dale... Grey's Dale... A little tongue-tied. A Grey's Dale mead. Mead. Or Southend. Southend? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Fancy water. It's all fancy water because what they'll do is they will take the person's money who bought you the drink, give you a glass of water, and keep a tab of, like, how much money you've racked up behind the bar, which they will either then split with you at the end of the night, or, like the Aeolian, they'll let you keep on tab for, like, future credit. So he basically has, like, a line of credit with them, which he uses to buy an entire bottle of Scutton. So, Will's pleased. College bar bros. Um, but as Kavos like, trying to get the bottle open, he and Will are talking, and Will... Somehow they get on the subject where Kavos like, kind of is like, oh, if I got you drunk enough, well, maybe you'd let me into the archives sometime. And there's, like, actually, like, a pretty sincere moment where Will's like, I have thought about it. I have thought about it. I wanted to. But... Since you were, it wasn't like you were suspended, you were banned, like... And, like, everybody knows you were banned. Everybody. So, if I got caught, like, I'd lose my job. It would be worse for you. Like, we both could be expelled from the It would be really bad, but, like, I wanted to. And he thinks he got unfairly banned, which is actually a really nice, like, thing for your friend to say. Yeah. Because, honestly, Kavok did do something stupid. He went in there with fire. He probably deserves to be banned, but for your friend to be like, look, I think that's unfair... And I actually did think about, like, risking my job to help you. It's really sweet. But <laughs> Sim's, like, you know, ready to get rowdy. So he's like, all right, enough, enough, enough. Yeah. Let's talk, like, nonsense. Like, shoot the shit. Just, like, gossip and hang out. Yeah, like, um, let's celebrate. You literally just, get, like, finish your apprenticeship. Let's drink to the, uh... Oh, I think they're drinking to the downfall of their enemies because they also hate yes. <laughs> Ambrose, too. So I vote we drink to the perpetual confusion and botherment of a certain Ambrose jacket. Yes. Yes. Um, so Escavoth is trying to get the bottle open. Simon says Dayok's got the most beautiful girl in the bar again yeah. and gets kind of like, you know, a little jealous that Dayok's got such pull. Yeah, and Kavot's like, I don't know about your judgment of women, Sim, as he's like undoing the cork, is all like absentmindedly distracted. Yeah, like not looking at him at all. So eventually he looks up, pauses and goes, oh, that's Denna, the girl I've been like pining away over. Yeah, and so Willem was like, that's your girl? And, and, so, and Simmons like, I think it's Dayok's girl now. Yeah. And so Kavoth is very, like, very annoyed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Dayok points, and Denna, like, follows a point and, like, looks right at Kavoth and is like, oh, and, like, lights up and comes running over. He's very excited. Simmons, like, looking at him in disbelief as if he's, you know, got some crazy kind of pull to get this girl. Yeah. And Denna is dressed in a dark green dress that leaves her... Uh, shoulders bare and Kvothe says she's stunning. Is odd he says he's only ever seen her in traveling clothes, but he did see her in a gown when she was on a date with Savoy so I think that's just a little error in the book. But anyway. Um, Shots fired. <laughs> Patrick Roth was, how could you? <laughs> Do you not keep track of what everybody wears? <laughs> anyway. Um, she introdu- or Kvothe introduces her to Will and Sim and 
she says that she was hoping to find Kvothe there so that they could go get dinner, and he's pretty surprised. And then Will, Will is... Will is, like, the perfect wingman Perfect wingman. Moment. He's like, oh, well, please take him away from us. Like He'd be doing us a favor. Yeah, you do us a favor. He drinks more than he talks. Like, get him out of here. And I love that because, like, clearly like, Donna knows that he, like, talks, 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 talks. Oh, super, super so, chatty. Yeah, so it was just perfect. I know, it's so funny. <laughs> and then Sim goes and ruins it, and he's like, yeah, if if Kvothe doesn't go out on a date with you, he's going to mope for days. Yeah, and it's like, like uh... dude, just shut up. <laughs> Please. Because <laughs> Will had set up this, like, perfect, like, out for Kvothe to go without hurting anyone's feelings. Yeah. And then Sim was like, yeah, he'll be a big loser if you don't take him on a date. And yeah. So Kavos like, <laughs> why, 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 why are you saying this? Um, but he leaves with Dana, and it's it's funny because as soon as they get away, she was like, "Oh, I lied about dinner. I just wanted to get a drink or hang out with you. Like, you don't need to take me out to eat." Which, and he was kind of like, "Thank God." Oh, thank God, I don't have any money. So that was good. But it's interesting, as they leave, she makes a statement that Willem is a stone in deep water and Simon is like a boy splashing in a brook. And those are really deep observations for people she's only met for two minutes. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering if Dana has some kind of inclination towards naming, like naturally, mm. or like understanding people very well. I know, because they're very accurate. Uh, very accurate descriptions. Personifications or whatever. Yeah. But it's pretty interesting. So. They decide to, you know, just kind of walk around for the rest of the night and do what they did the last time, which is just, like, walk and talk. But they get some bread and they buy a bottle of strawberry wine, which, if we remember from the very first second episode, first or second episode... Where the chronicler's saying there was a girl and Kavoth, like... Kavoth uses sympathy or... I think smashes a bottle, but it's a bottle of strawberry wine. So whatever girl... Chronicler's referencing, it's Denna, if we didn't already know that anyway. Um, uh, just an interesting prevent, sort of like a foreshadowing kind of moment earlier in the book. Yeah, like using this item that she's associated with, but it's it's almost 400 pages later. So it was something I did not pick up on the first time I read it, but I did now, obviously. And uh, Kavos describes it as, like, the last, the desperate feeling of the last warm night of summer and, like, trying to squeeze all that last little bit of, like, summer fun into the night. So they are walking and talking, and it's funny because at one point Kavoth is, like, kind of transfixed on her, and she's like, what are you thinking about? And obviously he doesn't want to say, like, you, I'm obsessed with you. Yeah, so... So he says, one of the masters at the university told me there were seven words that would make a woman love you, and I was wondering what they were. And she's like, that's probably why you're always talking. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Like, maybe you think you'll just happen upon those seven words if you just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And she's like, don't go all quiet on me. I'd be sad if I didn't hear your voice. Yeah, and then it's interesting. She goes, plus you already said them to me. I was just wondering why you're here. Which is what he said to her on Rowan's caravan way back when they first met. And Kvothe is floored. He did not think she remembered. Yeah, because he's like, you never brought it up. I didn't think you remembered. She's like, well, neither did you. Well, you didn't bring it up either. And she's like, how could I forget the red-haired boy who left me for for the the university? university. And it's interesting because Kvothe is like, well, I didn't really, like, leave you. Which, like, he thinks to himself. But, um... 
And then she's like, if anything, I thought you forgot me. He's like, how could I ever forget you? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I'm obsessed with you. I mean, don't be silly. <laughs> I mean, seven words, right? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just feel like they're very much like star-crossed lovers of like doomed to or fated to be doomed. Whatever it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They, they can never quite be together despite all the good intentions. Yeah. It's, so. Yeah. They have this, like, lovely evening of, like, walking, talking, and enjoying each other's company, and he asks her if there's a time where he could call upon her and maybe, like, hang out. And yeah, because she's, like, she's not at the Oak and Ore anymore. No, and so she's like, we're gonna go to Aeolian tomorrow, we'll do lunch. Yeah, meet at noon. So, like, this is the first time he's been able to, like, pin her down. Yeah. Like, at a time and a place to meet her, so... He's stoked. Moving in the right direction. And so he makes his way back over to the alien and um, uh, Deox at the door. And he's like, oh, you know, how was your evening? And he's like, it's good. Um, How long were my friends here for? They're like, oh, they left like an hour ago. Oh, but they found <laughs> some lovelies of their own. So I was like, oh, everyone had a good night. I know, everyone had a great night. I feel like it's definitely, especially if Kavo says it's like the last night of summer, I feel like it was like a perfect evening for everyone to feel fulfilled and, you know, have a good time. And so there's this really interesting moment that happens between Kavo and Diok where He's, like, trying to get the words out, but he's having a tough time, and Diog's like, I'm not good at this sort of thing, but... I feel like it's funny, because I feel like Diog's trying to play, like, the guiding older brother or the parent in this situation, but that's clearly not his, like, role in life. Like, he's not a parent. He's, like, you know, uh, the owner of a, a bar, and I kind of picture him being similar to, like, Robin Williams' character in The Birdcage, like... <laughs> Very party life, very, like, yeah. out-on-the-town socialite kind of person. So for him to sit down and try and have, like, a birds and bees talk with Kavoth, I think, is pretty funny. Well, it's also, like, Kavoth is 15. He clearly looks young and is naive. And I think Diok really cares about Kavoth. He's definitely taken him under his wing a little bit. Oh, he definitely has, but I think that's not, like, the dynamic they would normally have. Oh, no. So for them to have this conversation, Kavoth is like, What? <laughs> That's not, like, who he, ex- what he expected Diak to say. No, not at all. And so I really like, like, these few paragraphs, because, like, the description's great. It's just wholesome. I enjoy it. But, um, he goes, you see, women are like fires, like flames. Some are like candles, bright and friendly. Some are like single sparks or embers, like fireflies for chasing the summer nights. Some are like campfires, all light and heat for a night, and willing to be left after. Some women are like hearth fires, not too much to look at, but underneath they're all warm red coal that burns for a long while. And I think that's cool because it subtly describes like attraction, one night stands, long relationships, like... Yeah, I feel like it's like burning bright and quick versus like long and slow and like the different kind of comfort. Because all of those fires are like comforting, like a campfire is very like comforting and warm, keeps you warm on like nights out in the wilderness whereas like a hearth fire is like something reliable and like cozy and welcoming and homey you can always come home to so it's just a really interesting allegory for people yes and romance and relationships that i'd never heard before and i really like it because it doesn't belittle one type over another it's all has its uses in a way yeah like it's not like oh 
the one night stands are going to be like, those are bad. Don't do that. It's yeah. like they have their time and place and like what you're looking for kind of guides you to like whatever quote unquote like fire is going to be the most comforting for your needs. Yes. So I don't know. I, I just think it's a really beautiful way to describe people and romance without like putting anybody down. Yes. I like very it. Very tactfully done. Yeah, I think it's very and sweet. so he goes on to say, but <laughs> Diane, Diane is like a waterfall of sparks pouring off a sharp iron edge that God is holding up to the grindstone. Can't help but look. Can't help to want it. You want to even put your hand there for a second, but if you hold it, she'll break your heart. And so anyone Dangerous. who's on the outside <laughs> of this, like it's already common sense. Like Diane, she's great, but she's not good. She's going to break your heart. She's not permanent. She's flighty. And you're just going to get yourself all worked up and just be left with heartache. And scars. And so just the young naivete and just like br- like brash boldness of Kavoth. I love this line. It's just There's something about it I just really enjoy. But um, um, he smiles and says, Diak, my heart is made of stronger stuff than glass. When she strikes it, she'll find it strong as iron-bound brass or gold or adamant together mixed. Don't think I am unaware some startled deer to stand transfixed by hunter's horns. It is she who should take care, for when she strikes my heart, it will make a sound so beautiful and so bright, it can't help but bring her back to me in winged flight. And so he's like, whoa, okay. like Okay, slow your roll here. But like, like, you are, like, you are the master of your own fate at this point. You clearly, like, think you are strong enough to handle this. You cannot be swayed by anybody's advice. And, like, you're just going to have to learn by, like, experience at this point. Exactly. And so... That actually brings us to the end of this set of chapters, I believe. Just about, yeah. He goes, God, I, w- I wish I was as young and brave as you. And so, Kavos takes it as a compliment. He's like, wow. And so, <laughs> wow, he's, all, he's all stoked in his head. He's like, tomorrow at noon, lunch and walking with Denna. And he's so ex- he goes, the thought filled me with giddy excitement. How young I was. How foolish. How wise. And you and I were talking about this earlier, like, yeah. the how wise we think must be in reference to, like, living in the moment, like, the wiseness of youth, of, like, not being afraid of things, and enjoying, enjoying the, ride. the ride, and enjoying life as it comes, and not being wary. Like, clearly, like, Diak knows, and, like, other people know, they're like, oh, don't bother with that, because you're gonna get hurt, but both's like, I'm just gonna ride it as far as it goes, you know? Like, she can't hurt me. Or, like, if I get hurt, it's fine. And it's kind of the stupidity naivete. and the wiseness all together. Like, yeah. once. like, he's very naive, but I think it is important for for people to, like, learn through experience. And that is, in some kind of essence, a wise choice for yourself. Yeah. Even though you're making mistakes that you'll probably look back on later and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But that's the only way you learn, that you wish you hadn't done that. Experience, it's a great teacher. Those are our final thoughts for this set of chapters. Next week, we are going to get into quite a fiery adventure. And in the meantime, please reach out on our new Facebook page or through Instagram or our website, fantasticbookspod.com. And if you are interested in getting in the dialogue of whether or not you think 
metal or music, aka science and technology versus the arts, has a longer lasting impact, definitely reach out because I think that could be a really fun topic to cover. And until then, happy reading! podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinsky, produced by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinsky.